So the reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, and can be found on page 1174 in the Church Bibles. Oh, setting, okay. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, of, to, by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Helen. As Ruth said, I'm going to be going backwards and forwards in Ephesians quite a bit, and you may like to have the copy of the scriptures in front of you, they're behind the pillars. Uh, if you look at it on your iPhones, I shall trust you're not playing Angry Birds. And uh, all the words will go up on the screens anyway behind me. Uh, today's passage, when you read it just as it's set, uh, isn't the easiest one to understand. I love the book of Ephesians, and this is the bit that I could never quite get my head around. I used to devour the first couple of chapters and kind of skip over this bit and then pick up uh, and enjoy the rest of it. Uh, we're looking through the whole letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. And this bit too is scripture. And, and I've worked a bit this week uh, to try and work out what it is that is so significant here. And I've got some light on it. I looked back at when I last preached on this 11 years ago, preached to Ephesians, and I found that I'd actually invited a visiting preacher for that one. and given it. So I'd, I'd never really had to do the work on this one. Uh, so I confess that too. This is my first go at really preaching this bit of Ephesians. I don't know how you cope when there's a difficult to understand bit of the scriptures. I tend to encourage people not to worry too much about it. Mark Twain famously said, it's not the bits of the Bible I don't understand that give me problems, it's the bits of the Bible I do understand. They tell you there's some bits that are all too clear. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, give sacrificially and generously. We understand those very easily, they're hard to do. The bits we don't understand, well don't worry too much, we pray that the Lord will shine fresh light in years to come. But as we look at this passage, what I've realized about it, it's kind of a digression in 
in the letter. Uh, if you've got it in front of you, you can see in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, for this reason, then he goes off on a digression, and verse 14, he starts again, for this reason, and we'll get there next week. And this is a digression reflecting on the themes of the letter uh, and his ministry. So let's pray that God would speak to us uh, and that he'd speak to you, to each one of us tonight. Lord, as I teach into this part of Ephesians, we pray that you'd come by your Holy Spirit, shine your light on the word in the scripture and bring it to life for us. May the word you spoke to the church in Ephesus through Paul all those years ago speak to us tonight. Come and speak to each one of us, whether we've been Christians for many years or whether we're very new uh, as followers of yours, whether we're just exploring it. And we pray for all of us, there would be something that's fresh and you would show us the next step in our walk with you and what you have for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go back to the beginning and just recap where we've got to. Uh, we started off chapter 1 a few weeks ago and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We thought about how the fact we obviously live in a natural physical world, what we can see and taste and smell and hear and touch. But at the same time, there's a spiritual world we're part of. Just like uh, all the way through this church building of the uh, phone signals and television waves and so on and radio signals, we can't see them, but they're there. We're part of a spiritual reality that we can't see, but it's just as real. And God has blessed us in the spiritual realms with every spiritual blessing. None of us has every physical blessing, but we have every spiritual blessing. We looked at, at those. God's chosen us. He's adopted us. He's forgiven us. He's revealed his plan to us that history is heading for a point when Jesus returns. He's poured out his spirit in us. And there is far more for all of us than we've yet got. Uh, we looked at that uh, in week two, chapter one, verse 17 to 19, we saw Paul's prayer for more. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. He's praying for more, to know God more. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. He's praying that we'll grasp what God has prepared for us in the future, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And he prays that we grasp his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that raised Jesus from the dead. So we've been blessed, but we haven't really appreciated all that God's got for us. Uh, there is so much more. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that all of this is by grace. Chapter 2, uh, verses 8 to 10. Uh, none of us deserves to be forgiven. None of us deserves to be adopted into God's family. It's all by grace. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. We're all in the same boat. Whatever uh, your life was like before, none of us got it all right. We all need to be forgiven. And then Paul goes on to point to the future where God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. All of us have a part to play in the growth of God's kingdom. Uh, we're not all like St. Paul. We all have different gifts. We're all crafted differently. Doing these things doesn't, we don't do them to earn favor with God. It's the outworking of the fact that we are his children 
How can we live to please him? What, do, what difference does this make where God's called you to work or in your family or among your friendship group? And then we saw last week how this isn't just about me and God or about you and God. We are part of his great people. We saw how God had not only broken down the barrier between us and God through Jesus' death on the cross, but he's broken down the human barriers that people separate uh, each other by, particularly Jew and Gentile. And God breaks these barriers down to form one new humanity. So whether you're male or female, old or young, rich or poor, black or white, educated or uneducated, from Concordia in Argentina, from Leamington, uh, Spa in England or anywhere else, we can all be part of God's one great family. And this is where we were last Sunday evening. Let's look at the end of Ephesians 2, uh, verses 19 to 22. So you're no longer foreigners and strangers, fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So 2,000 years ago, if you wanted to get close to God, you went to Jerusalem where God made his presence dwell in the Holy of Holies of the temple. The closer you got, the closer his presence you got. Now, we are being built into a spiritual building in which God lives by his spirit. If people want to encounter God, they come to his people, whether we gather here in Leamington or in Concordia in Argentina or anywhere else. And God can meet us there. Jesus said, where two or three gather in his name, there he is in the midst. And we're part of that whole new society uh, that God uh, is bringing together. And now Paul goes off on this digression about his role in all this. And I want to look at this under two headings. If you look in the, uh, in the letter, verse 2 says, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace given me. And verse 7, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace. There seem to be two things uh, that Paul's thinking about that God has done by his grace. The first is to reveal the mystery of the gospel. Paul would never have worked it out, even though he had a, a brain the size of a planet, as it were, huge, great, educated brain. But until God revealed it, it was a mystery, and he revealed it by his grace. And then secondly, God's given him a ministry by his grace. Uh, he's revealed the mystery, he's given him a ministry. He reveals to us the truth of the gospel, and then he has a ministry for each one of us, so it will be not exactly the same as St. Paul's. So let's look at this passage under these two halves. So first of all then, by grace, God revealed the mystery of the gospel to Paul. Uh, so here we are, chapter 3, verse 1. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's in prison in Rome. Humanly speaking, he is a prisoner of Nero in Rome. As far as Paul's concerned, though, he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's been following Jesus, and that's led him to prison. He's been preaching for the Gentiles to come to faith in Jesus, and that's got him into all sorts of trouble. A great riot in Jerusalem. He had to be rescued by Roman soldiers. They put him on trial. He's appealed to Caesar. He's now in Rome. So from his point of view, he is a prisoner of Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. And he says in verses 2 and 3 that God, by his grace, has revealed the mystery of his plan. Uh, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. Now, a word about this, this word mystery. Uh, the word 
that's translated here, mystery, is different from what we usually think of as a mystery. We think a mystery is just something you can't understand or get your head round. So when I was doing A-level physics, uh, they tried to explain to me that light is like waves and light is like particles and it's a mystery and it couldn't work out, it can be both together. It just, you try and get your head around it, but ultimately it's a bit of a mystery. Uh, I'm just pleased when I turn the switch, the light comes on and, that, and that's fine. This sort of mystery is not that sort. This sort of mystery is something that was, it's more a secret that's now open, a secret that's been told publicly. So the mystery that God revealed to Paul is what was secret, that Jesus is the saviour of the whole world for the Gentiles and the Jews, that Jesus died for everyone, so everyone can be united with Jesus and united with each other. Now, there were lots of mystery religions in those days. If you joined a mystery religion, once you were signed up, you would be indoctrinated in the mystery and sworn to secrecy, not to reveal the mystery. But Christianity is an open secret. We're not hiding anymore. It's not complicated to understand that God, like a father, wants us to be in relationship with him, that Jesus has broken down the barriers. That's not complicated to understand, but it's a mystery that was revealed uh, it would never have, St. Paul, with all his education, all his studying of the scriptures, had wound up going in the opposite direction, persecuting the church. The Old Testament had plenty about God's plans for the Gentiles. Israel, Abraham's family, was to be a blessing for the Gentiles. The suffering servant in Isaiah was to be a light to the Gentiles. But around the time of Jesus and St. Paul, the Jews really didn't expect to be a blessing to the Gentiles. In fact, they tried to keep themselves separate. When Jesus talked about blessing the Gentiles in Nazareth, they tried to stone him. When Paul spoke about going to the Gentiles, there was this riot that the soldiers had to rescue him from. But this is the mystery. There's a sort of double breaking down of barriers, the barrier between us and God and between us and each other. And in verse 6, he puts it like this. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, Members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I imagine most of us here tonight are Gentiles, that means not Jewish. We are included in all the promises to God's ancient people through Jesus, as well as included in God's great family. We're part of that new humanity, that, that spiritual temple that we're being built together. Now Paul spells it out in different ways in different letters but just a little cross-reference to Romans chapter 3 verse 22 and 24. Uh, Paul says there's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned. Jews sin, Gentiles sin. All fall short of the glory of God as Chris was praying earlier. We've all fallen short by some things we've said or done or things we didn't say or do. And all can be justified freely by God's grace. To be justified is to be acquitted, to be declared innocent, to be forgiven. Nothing against our account. Uh, when I was in the Sunday school, they taught me that to be justified is just as if I had never sinned. It's quite cheesy, but I, I remembered it. I'm, the, the slate is washed clean. This is extraordinarily good news. Whatever you've done, if you're exploring the Christian faith, Jesus' death means you can be forgiven. The guilt can be washed clean. The shame can be washed clean. There's no need to fear death, for death leads us more into God's presence. We're, part, we're included in a great new family, the family of God, that will last for all eternity 
made up of every tribe and tongue and nation, male and female, old and young, rich and poor, black and white, the whole thing. This is wonderfully good news. And Paul's already hinted earlier in Ephesians that this is heading for a point when Jesus returns. There is a plan. So chapter 1 and verses 9 to 10. God's made known to us the mystery or secret of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It's not just bringing Jew and Gentile together. It's bringing heaven and earth together, a whole recreated heaven and earth. We can't get our heads around that. It will be, whatever's wonderful now will be better then. I've been thinking this week that as it's lovely to have this hot weather, also I'm not very good when there's no swimming pool around or, or something to, when there's no water and the grass is all brown now and the, it's all cracking up. I think in heaven it'll be lovely and warm and the grass will be green and somehow God will do that together. It'll be better than it is now. I don't know how it will work, but it will be better. The heaven and the earth will be renewed. God will live with us. Things are brought to unity. And that will come when Jesus comes again. So uh, chapter 1 and verses 19 to 21, while Paul was talking about the power that raised Jesus from the dead that's in us, uh, that power is the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, far above every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come when Jesus returns. So eternity is in Paul's sights the whole way through this letter. God's big plan to reconcile people to himself, to reconcile them to each other for a glorious future eternity. Now, if it doesn't sound like good news to you that God's chosen you, forgiven you, adopted you into his family, uh, revealed the plan to you, poured his Holy Spirit into you, can I suggest, if that doesn't sound like good news, that the best thing you can do is pray, well, Lord, open my eyes to see it. Help me understand it. Help me grasp how exciting it is. This is far more exciting than the best holiday you could imagine. This is an eternal future that will be glorious in the new heaven and earth with the new community that God has prepared. And God's revealed it to us by grace, as he did to St. Paul. So if you don't see it as good news, and some of you may not yet tonight, uh, ask God to reveal it to you. You'll never work it out. It's a mystery that's revealed by grace. That's the first half of our passage. The second half, Paul goes, goes on to talk about having grasped the gospel. By grace, God appointed Paul to be a preacher of this good news to the Gentiles, to everybody. So let's look at this, verses 7 and 8 of chapter 3. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul often says he's the least. He's not, Paul is not British. This isn't just British self-deprecation. Uh, Paul's a feisty Middle Eastern Jew. There wasn't much British about him at all. But he did believe he was the least of God's people because he had persecuted the church. He'd used his great intelligence and he'd got it 100% wrong. He'd persecuted Jesus and the church. And by God's grace, God didn't wipe him out. He forgave him and turned him round and pointed him in the right direction and said, now, Paul, now you understand it. Now go and preach it. And that same red-blooded passion that opposed the church went into preaching to the Gentiles. 
Paul never got over God's amazing grace to him. And he preaches, I love this phrase, the boundless riches of Christ. Every spiritual blessing, as we heard a few weeks ago, and there's more. Uh, if God opens our eyes and our hearts to receive it. All those blessings we looked at before, being chosen, forgiven, adopted, understanding, history has a plan, God has a plan, receiving the Holy Spirit, and it's all by grace. And you have a part to play in the extension of God's kingdom, a part that God has prepared for you, just as there's a part for me, just as there was for St. Paul. So back in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, we read this. We are God's handiwork, his poetry, his poema, his, his craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You have a ministry that God has prepared for you by grace. To be as just as he prepared Marcus and Claire, uh, arranged for them to meet at London Bible College, took them to Concordia uh, to plant this church and ministry for them. Some of you may be thinking, well, I'm glad that wasn't the ministry God has for me. That's fine. I'm sure if you told Marcus and Claire the ministry God has for you, they're glad that isn't the one he had for them. God has one for all of us. And we are to discover this uh, by God's grace. Now, Paul is thinking on a big canvas here. It's not just about us and God. It's about us being part of his worldwide church. But he's thinking on an even bigger canvas. He brings in all the principalities and powers, the rulers in the spiritual realms that we can't see, all those opposed to God and his church. So in, uh, if we can go to verse 10 of chapter 3, Paul says, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now this kind of blows your mind a bit. The rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms are those forces opposed mostly to God. Obviously, uh, in heaven, uh, the angels know what God's up to. But the devil and his fallen angels don't. And it's saying that God is revealing to them what his plan is through the church. Just flip over to chapter 6, and we'll just have a, an advanced look at this. We'll get there we're going to have a break for the summer holidays and then we'll come back to Ephesians in the autumn. But Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We don't fight against people. But against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. This is the cast list in the spiritual realms that Paul says back in Ephesians 3 and verse 10, if we can just flip back to that, uh, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to them through the church. That is extraordinary. We have a part to play by our very existence of pointing out to those forces opposed to God that God has a better plan and there's nothing they can do to stop it. The devil hates the church. He hates it with a passion. He does all he can to stamp it out. In Acts, we find he tries persecution, and that doesn't stamp it out. He tries hypocrisy and deceit, and that doesn't stamp it out. He tries over-busyness, and that doesn't stamp it out. He still tries the same things today, uh, cyclically, as I find. Uh, difficult in persecution, compromise, over-busyness. Nothing stops God building his church, ultimately. From time to time, the church in a particular place has a really tough time, like in the Middle East today. 
But we are praying that God will bring resurrection to his church there, just as he has in China and other places around the world when it's been opposed by the evil one. Marcus and Claire said to me this morning when they were uh, thinking of planting a church in Concordia, someone who wasn't a Christian says, well, you'll need a lot of faith to do that. And he was being cynical. Absolutely right, you did need a lot of faith. But God is committed to his church. The very existence of the church proclaims to the forces of evil that God rules. He is, he's broken down the barriers. He's bringing about a whole new community. Uh, we are in the heavenly realms. We're seated in the heavenly realms. There is that We're caught up in this struggle, but we don't need to be worried because while the devil is powerful, he's, he is created and God is infinite. And Jesus has promised that he will build his church Uh, Matthew 16 verse 18 puts it like this. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You could translate the gates of Hades, the powers of hell. Jesus said, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not overcome it. The powers of hell will not overcome the church in Concordia, in Argentina, will not overcome the church in Leamington, will not overcome the church worldwide. All around the world, the church is growing Uh, more and more each year. We pray that will come in the West again. But all around the world, his church is growing. And we are part of it. So I said to you earlier, if you don't understand this as good news, pray that you would see it as good news. If you don't know your part within this, ask God to show you your part within it. And lastly, I want to invite you to love God's church, his people. Jesus has died to create this whole new society and community that we are part of. Paul goes on to talk about it in Ephesians 4 and 5 as the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. We'll just look at this as we come towards a close. Chapter 4 and verses 15 to 16. So Christ is the head of the body. Verse 16, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are the body of Christ. He is the head, and he is building his body. We're part of the bride of Christ. So yesterday, uh, Adam took the wedding of Seamus and Catrin. I was preaching, and they chose this passage from Ephesians 5. So let's look at verses 31 and 32, where Paul is preaching about marriage, And then he says, actually, I'm really talking about Christ and the church. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. God's plan for marriage between a man and a woman, equal but not identical, different but equal, reflects something of his eternal plan between Christ and the church. Marriage is just for this life. It ends with death. Because in glory, we have the real thing. We are part of this great wedding feast of the Lamb, Jesus. We're part of his bride. Now, if you don't love the church, it's like saying to Jesus, I love you, Jesus, but I don't like your body, and I don't think much of your bride. It doesn't really work. I don't think Jesus is very impressed. He has died for his church, and we are to do all we can to work at building the unity of the church. So chapter 4 and verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. We're given a unity. We must work to preserve it. We have to work because we fall out with each other, we do things wrong, we upset each other. As far as it's down to you, 
do all you can to be reconciled and to reconcile others. Sometimes it just isn't possible. Some things will have to wait till glory. But as far as we can, make every effort to keep this. Because Jesus loves his church and we're part of it. He died for us to know him, but he died to make this new community that will be with him for all eternity. And you have a part to play in it, as do I. Uh, let's stand and we'll pray together. Perhaps the band would come back ready to lead us in some worship in a moment. If you're new to us, a word of explanation, I'm going to lead in a prayer that picks up some of the themes and then just pray for God to come afresh by his spirit and minister to us. Take the truths we've been thinking about and write them deeply on our hearts. There may be other things he wants to do as well. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. We praise you that when you died on the cross, you paid the price for all our sin to free us from guilt and shame so we can come before you confidently and freely. Pour out your spirit now on your people. For those here who are thinking through these things and don't yet see it as good news, will you open their eyes and reveal the truth of these things in ways they can understand, just as you did to St. Paul on the Damascus Road, just as you did to me the Scripture Union camp 40 years ago, just as you have for different ones of us, open people's eyes to see by grace, reveal this secret, this mystery. And for those of us who do know you and love you, show to us, we pray, the part you have for us to play in your great kingdom, your body. Give to us a love for your people 